Lennon, and you remember all these songs since we don't have the words in front of us. It's coming. Here we go. There's a call called ringing on the restless way. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save. Send the light, 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 the blessed gospel light. Let it shine. Shore to shore, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, this time where we can honor you and that we can show our love for one another. Father, I pray that as we're here together that we can lift up the name of Jesus together, Lord, and that we can have a blessed time doing that. Lord, we're in the Christmas season, and I pray that we use this time as an opportunity to share the gospel with those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to be with us today as we're worshiping the Lord together. It's good to see everybody. I'm Jeff. I've been gone for a couple weeks, so I thought I'd show back up today and earn my paycheck. But anyway, uh, we're here to lift up Christ together, and we're glad that you've chosen to do that with us. If you haven't filled out your connection card, please make sure you do so sometime during the service. And if you're watching us online, there's a, a thing across the bottom of the screen that'll allow you to do that. So at this time, I'm going to turn things back to the praise team. Oh, oh dang. Okay, now here's the deal. You got three minutes. You get three minutes, but go around and say hello to somebody and try to catch somebody you haven't said hello to. I'll keep talking.
story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. to hear it again. Hmm. I don't like the heat on in here. It gets too hot. I can see the ladies are comfortable though, so I know it's too hot then. Okay. 
Well, we're in the Christmas season now, it's obvious, and you can see a lot of things going around. A lot of places have live nativity scenes and all kinds of, lot of lots of fun stuff. Had the Christmas parade downtown. I'm not a big parade person, but I think a lot of people really enjoy that. And really, this is a season where we should be full of joy. We should be full of joy all the time, obviously, but particularly during Christmas. And But I know that the reality is a lot of people struggle um, with joy, with that concept, because sometimes their life lay in ruin, or things have happened around the holidays that makes it hard for them to have that. Uh, sometimes our life's messed up because we self-inflict it. Other times things just happen to us. But there's hope. There's hope. When we look around the world, or when we look at the world around us, sometimes it's so easy to lose hope because we think, man, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. And but there's hope. I want to draw your attention to a powerful message of hope and joy found in the book of Isaiah, but specifically in chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And as we look at this passage, we're going to encounter words of comfort and assurance, reminding us that true joy can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is why, as Christians, we should always be joyful because we have that relationship. The prophet Isaiah, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this message, the people of Israel were facing great turmoil and despair. And Isaiah wasn't one of those prophets, as many of them were, that were bringing that message of joy and, 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 and happiness. A lot of times they had a difficult message to deliver. And as you look at the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of stuff where he's really hammering hard on them, those first 39 chapters of the book. But then when he hits chapter 40, it's, more of a, it's a bit of a change. He starts bringing the hope. He says, here's all the tough stuff that's happened and is going to happen, that's coming but yet there's hope in the future. They were a nation in exile at that time. They were longing for freedom. They were longing for restoration. Yet amid the darkness, Isaiah shines a light, a divine light, with the promise of comfort and redemption. As we dig into these verses, what we're going to see is we're going to discover that the world, even though it's full of uncertainty, fear, and brokenness, that we can have hope and joy through Jesus Christ, because that's what he brings into our life. Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that Jesus is the source of true comfort. And many people today struggle with comfort because they don't have that source. They're trying to find that comfort in so many other places, and it can only be found in Jesus. He comes into us, he comes into our lives in the midst of all the weariness, gently speaking the words of solace to our troubled hearts. And we need to share the message of Jesus with people. We find rest and assurance in his presence knowing that he understands our pain and that he offers us his unfailing love. It would be one thing to go to a God that you think, okay, you know, like the, the, all the false gods, they don't know what we go through in life. For one thing, they're not real. But even if they were, they don't know. But Jesus knows because he lived like we do, like we did. He suffered all of the, the temptations that we face. Jesus possesses the power to transform our lives. When we look at the lives of people around us, sometimes we just shake our heads and say, there's no hope for them. Sometimes we've looked in the mirror at ourselves and said, there's no hope for me. And so we give up. But we have to realize that Jesus has the power to transform lives. Many of us here have had that transformation. If you belong to Jesus, you've had that transformation. For some, it's been very miraculous. For some, maybe it doesn't look quite as glitzy, but yet it's still there. 
He brings hope to hopelessness, healing to the broken, and strength to the weary. His grace is sufficient, and his mercy knows no bounds. When we surrender our burdens to him, he breathes new life into us, into our souls. He empowers us to rise above circumstances. Isaiah directs us, says to put our gaze, to fix our eyes on the glory of the Lord. Jesus, the King of Kings, reveals his majesty and his splendor, captivating our hearts with unmatched, with unmatched grace. When we fix our eyes on him, our perspective shifts from the trials that this rough world gives us to his eternal glory that's awaiting us. So I hope this morning as we dive into Isaiah chapter 40, if we have not yet done so, that we'll open our hearts to this message of joy from Jesus found in Isaiah. The big idea of the message is this. We, as, we, as we're going through the Christmas season, we can find comfort and joy. And that's what this whole series is about. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 5 has a lot to say about that. We'll be in that for the next four weeks, along with some other passages we'll bring in. This series, this series unpacks the passage and reminds us that God, through Jesus, brings comfort in our pain, joy through salvation, and he does this, and because, excuse me, because of this, we can live a life being redeemed by him, and we can proclaim Jesus to the world. In our message today, we're going to see that Christmas is a time to experience comfort and joy from what God has done for us through Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Isaiah. We'll begin in chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Sorry about the glitch there. I did some work this morning. I'm going to have to reset the screen. It's an easy fix, but I didn't want to do it in the middle of the sermon. So anyway, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and tell her that her time of warfare is over. Her punishment is complete, for the Lord has made her pay double for all of her sins. So one of the things that we need to do, and this is true of life also, is we have to understand the context. See, the nation would endure captivity later by the Babylonians and eventually by the Persians. And at this time, they were dealing with the Assyrians. I can't imagine, and I hope I never get to experience, living in a country that's ruled by another. Would you like to be in that situation? Would you like to have some country like China or whatever running the United States? Would that be a fun place to live at that point in time? I wouldn't want to. And I can't imagine living in a situation like that if, you're, if your focus isn't in the right place, you won't have joy because you're going to be reminded that you're in captivity everywhere that you look. And then this is what these people were going through at the time of Isaiah. Today, as we turn our attention to verses 1 and 2, we're transported back to a significant moment in the history of the people of Israel. It's essential to understand the context and the historical context from which Isaiah writes this prophecy, which he gives this prophecy, so that we can fully grasp the depth of the message and its impact on the hearts of the people. Isaiah's prophetic ministry runs from about 740 B.C. to about 698 B.C. And at the time of this prophecy, the people of Israel were in the state of exile. The northern kingdom had already fallen to the Assyrians. Now the southern kingdom and Judah itself was being oppressed and it was being dispersed. People were taken away from their homeland. They were separated from their families. They were stripped of their identity. And during, this, during their exile, the Israelites experienced deep distress 
and a longing for salvation because if you remember, this happened because of their disobedience. God kept saying, here's where I need you to do. Here's where I need you to go. Here's how you can experience blessing. And the people of Israel basically thumbed their nose at God and said, nah, we're gonna do it our way. God said, okay, here you go. We're gonna bring some people and teach you guys a lesson. They were burdened with the weight of captivity. They were living in a foreign land, many of them, far away from the land that God had promised to their ancestors. Their hearts were filled with grief. Their spirits were weary. Their hopes seemed to wane by each passing day because this was a bad situation. But it's precisely in this place of despair and longing that Isaiah's words were going to bring them some hope, some desperately needed hope. The prophet begins by saying, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. These words of comfort were like a balm on the wounds of their soul because they were deeply wounded. It's a reminder that God hasn't forgotten them because when things go bad in life, what is one of the first things we start to think? God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God's punishing me. Now, in the case of Israel, he was. <laughs> and so therefore, if he's punishing me, he doesn't love me. There's no hope for me. And this is where the nation was fe- what they were feeling at this point in time. The people of Israel had had enough, though they were yearning for deliverance. They were yearning for that that restoration of their homeland and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises because they knew God's promises. But here they are in captivity thinking, wow, I guess it's over. They longed for a Savior who would come and set them free from their captivity. Their distress and their longing cries for salvation, they were crying out for it. They were pleading to God to God to intervene to rescue them from their circumstances. And I would say those captivities, as you look at the history, woke the people up. And I just pray in our nation that we don't have to go through that to wake people up. As we reflect on this passage, we have to remember that just as the people of Israel found themselves in distress and longing, we too experience those similar emotions at different points in our lives. There are points in our lives where we feel almost the same way as these folks did. We're distressed, we're stressed, we're... we're, We're burdened, and we can't keep our focus where it needs to be. Sometimes that's because we've forgotten where we're supposed to be, and we've just kind of drifted off. Other times we just let life overtake us, and we start to see the problems before us as bigger than our God. We find ourselves in overwhelming situations. We feel burdened by the weight of our struggle, and we long for something to change. We long for a breakthrough. And so we can, we can sort of relate to what these folks are thinking, even though it's on a different level. But let's take, to, take this to our hearts, though, the fact that our, in our distress, we have a Savior who hears our cries. He understands our deepest longings. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus, he was tempted in all the ways such as we, but yet he was without sin. He knows what we're dealing with. Christ is our ultimate deliverer. He offers us comfort. He offers us hope. He's the one who brings true freedom and true restoration in our lives. One of the biggest deceptions that, that, that the devil has put on people is thinking, making them think they're free and making them think that when they come to Jesus, they're no longer free. The opposite is true of that. That is not the truth. There is freedom in Christ. You're free from the burden of your sin. You're free from, the, from having to succumb to temptation. You're free from guilt, free from shame. These are all the tools that the enemy uses to keep you down, to say, hey, you don't, God, God's not going to love you because look what you did. Look what you said. Look what you're thinking. God knows what you're, God knows what you're thinking. He sees you. 
Jesus, though, when we put our trust and faith in him, when he sees us in our distress, he, he wants to bring us to a place of peace and restoration. The whole time that he had the nation of Israel under, under captivity, he wasn't going, ah, I'm teaching you guys a lesson. He was brokenhearted. Any parent who's had to discipline their children, are you, are you glad to do it? I know I wasn't. I didn't like doing it. But you also know that you have to. And the nation put themselves in this position. We may find solace knowing that Jesus, our Savior, that he's near. He's ready to lift us up and to carry us through our burdens. But many times we try to carry those things alone. Hence, even as Christians, we're stressed and depressed because we're trying to deal with what we shouldn't be dealing with. We can't let the past burden us. See, the nation of Israel could have just sat, sat back and said, you know what, we deserve this, which they did, and then just said, it's over, and had no hope for the rest of their, the rest of their existence. We can't let the past failures make us feel unworthy. That is the devil coming into your ear and saying, remember what you did? Remember what you thought? Remember what you, remember what you said? And as long as he can keep that in your ear, you will never turn your burdens over to the Lord. You will always be burdened by your past. You will always be driven by guilt. Now, the nation of Israel was being burdened with guilt. And sometimes what, what, what ended up happening with them, it made them say, hey, we need to change. They had to learn, though, to forgive themselves before they could move forward. And many times in life, when we've wronged people, when we've gone off the path, we live a life beating ourselves up. I've been there. Probably most of you have too. One of the first things we have to do before we can go forward and experience the joy of salvation in Christ is you've got to forgive yourself. You can't let your past define your future. You've got to be defined by who you are in Christ. And if we're not careful, what we end up doing is we end up being defined by anything and everything other than by being defined by who we are in Christ. We have a voice of comfort that comes from God. The assurance of God's compassion and forgiveness. In verse 1, we hear of that comfort. Isaiah is saying from God, he says, comfort, comfort. I, I want to I comfort these people. He knows the depths of their pain, and you know what? He knows the depths of your pain also. He extends compassion and forgiveness to the nation of Israel at that time and to you. Despite their, their, their disobedience and the consequences they were facing, God's love remained steadfast for them. It's like, I, every once in a while I have to discipline my kids. I didn't hate them. I was upset with them, but I still loved them. A good parent will. A good parent will say, I had to discipline you, so I hate your guts now. Get out. <laughs> Sometimes you might want to feel like that. But no, you love them still. You're not happy with them, but you love them. God wasn't happy with Israel, but he still loved them. God isn't happy with me when I sin, but he still loves me. And Satan says, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And how are you going to experience comfort and joy in your life if you're living life that way? You can't, because you're torn between two worlds. He assures us that his mercy is not exhausted. His forgiveness is available to all who turn to him with repentance. And see, the nation was getting to that point. This assurance can bring immense comfort to us, reminding us that no matter how far we may have strayed, that God is saying, I want you, I want you, I love you, I love you. God's arms are always open, ready to embrace. And even the nation of Israel at this time, and, and believe me, they were a mess. God's like, I want you guys back. God has a desire for reconciliation 
and restoration. In verse 1, this reflects God's desire for reconciliation and for restoration. He was longing to bring his people back, and he was wanting them to get back on track. When we take those steps away from God, he longs for us to turn back to him. He yearns for reconciliation. He doesn't say, okay, you messed up, you're gone forever, I've written you off, and you know what, I, you know people in your life that's done that to you? Maybe you're the type that, do, that does that to other people. One mistake and you're out. That's not God. And honestly, when you live life like that, your life's going to be miserable too. When you're the type that says, one mistake and you're out, it's not a good life. God desires to restore brokenness. He desires to restore the division, bring, or rid, us, rid that division that's caused by sin. He doesn't want us to live bleeding and wounded the rest of our lives. He wants to bring wholeness to us. His voice of comfort reminds us of his relentless pursuit of restoration, inviting us to enjoy the grace that he has to offer. Here's something to ponder. In the context of the message of Isaiah in verses 1 and 5, is those verses are not much different than the context of our lives. Yeah, we may not be in captivity to Babylon or the Assyrians or whatever, but we've been in captivity to sin. And as Christians, you don't have to experience that captivity. But these verses, when you look at them and you look at our lives, man, they line up. They line up. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. A voice cries out in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord. Build a level road through the rift, of our, of the, the rift valley for our God. Every valley must be elevated, every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level plain. The rugged landscape, a wide valley. So then our next observation is preparing the way for joy. In this couple verses within this passage, we find a powerful prophecy that speaks of preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. These verses they reveal the significance of making room for God in our lives by removing any obstacles that hinder his work with us. As we await the Lord's coming, we have to understand the concept and the importance of preparation. We see that the voice of the, Lord, the, voice of the one crying out, Isaiah's proclaiming, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Now, does that passage sound familiar to you? Yeah, we find that in the gospel. Speaking of John the Baptist, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time on that. And by the way, just as a side note, a lot of people believe because of the prophecies. Now, listen, this is awesome. The prophecies in Isaiah are so powerful. 700 and some years before Jesus appeared, before he was born, on, as we say on Christmas Day, and lived his life as crucified, Isaiah's making these precise prophecies, not only about Jesus, but also about the things that were going to happen to the nation. So liberal scholars for many years have said, well, Isaiah wasn't written by, by, by Isaiah. Parts of it were, but it was written in a couple different centuries because there's no way that he could have got that close. The problem with that is, is when you see the book of Isaiah quoted in the New Testament, and I, I, I cannot remember how many times, it's like, I think it's around 60, maybe 40, every time it's attributed to Isaiah. And each part of the book that liberals say, oh, no, that wasn't written by Isaiah. Jesus said, and Isaiah wrote. And the prophet Isaiah said. So that kind of dispels that false theory. But this prophecy, as I said, finds its fulfillment in John the Baptist. Matthew 3.3 3 talks about this. 
John was sent as a forerunner, announcing the imminent arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, like I said, we'll talk about that in a lot more detail in a couple weeks, but his role was to prepare people's hearts for the Lord's coming. That's John's job. It was to prepare people's hearts. Similarly, we are called to be that voice in our own lives and the lives of others around us, trying to prepare the way for Jesus in their life. See, one of the things that I think we struggle with today because we're shy and we're afraid is we have to be able to help. Somebody help prepare the way for Jesus in our life. Somebody prepare the way. Someone leveled out the mountains. Someone smoothed out the valleys. And this is what this passage is talking about in Isaiah. They've done this and they helped us with this. But yet, who are we helping to do the same for their life? See, many times we go, we'll share Jesus with them. Well, they didn't accept him. Well, it's over. But what did we do to prepare the way for Jesus for them? What's going on in their life that's preparing them to hear that message? See, my life was a train wreck for quite a while, and it opened me up to level those those hills, those mountains, to smooth out those valleys, so when the message came, I was ready to hear it. Preparation. And so many times I think what we're falling short on is we're trying to share the messages we aren't preparing And there's many ways we can prepare. Sometimes we can see things happening in people's lives and we can help direct them and say, hey, I got something that can help you through this. I got a way we can smooth that path off. Or many times just people seeing how we live life is an inspiration to them. You know, I've always said one of the great things in the Bible talks about not forsaking the assembling together. One of the reasons for that is so that we can encourage one another by the way we live life. Because people can see us, they get to know us, and they say, wow, There were so many people that inspired my faith early in my walk that their lives weren't anywhere near perfect. And some of them today are a mess. But at that time, they were enough of an inspiration for me to be inspired and to be encouraged. And that's one of the things that we do. Selfish Christianity says, I'll show up to church when I want to. I don't really need to. I'll watch. And I realize, you know, we we broadcast and we do it for a reason. But I'm never going to step foot because I don't need that. I'll watch a broadcast when it's convenient. That's selfish Christianity, folks. Real Christianity is I want to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to show Jesus in my life. I want to proclaim the gospel to people around me. And I'm not just going around beating them over with a Bible, but I am living my life in such a way that it inspires other people to say, man, I want to be like that. You know, when I was a kid, and even to this day, I love sports, man, baseball. I watch these baseball players, and I wanted to be just like them. Unfortunately, God didn't gift me with those gifts. But nonetheless, I wanted to be like them. Back in the day, remember the commercial, Be Like Mike? Yeah. Who didn't want to be Michael Jordan at the time? I mean, come on, even today. But anyway, we want people to look at us and say, I want to be like him, or I want to be like her. And then we say, no, you don't want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus, who's, put, who's helped me be who I am today and who can help you do the same. The call to prepare the way for the Lord is an invitation for us to examine our lives and make those adjustments. We're called to create an environment that welcomes the presence of God and allows him to work mightily within us. That's what we're called to do. The preparation is important because what it does is it acknowledges our need. It acknowledges our need for repentance and renewal. See, if we never prepare the way, we never realize. You ever gotten ready for a trip 
And if you're like my wife, she makes a spreadsheet and she takes pictures of all her clothing and she's very organized. I'm just like, hey, we're leaving in a couple hours. I need this many pair of underwear and a couple pair of socks. I'm good to go. You know, I'm ready to go. Oh, and I always tell her, well, there's a Walmart or, well, we used to say Walmart, but there's, there's a, somewhere along the way I can get something I missed. But my wife, man, she is organized. Now, if you're preparing for a trip, you need certain things, Right? When you're preparing for it, you realize you don't have some of those things. And you're like, oh, I need to go get that. See, the preparation for the trip helps you to be able to enjoy the trip, to be able to endure the trip. I enjoy mine. How many times have I missed stuff? And one time I did leave my med one time I did leave my meds at home, which after about three days without my thyroid med, I'm a basket case. But anyway, um, that preparation helps you to enjoy. If we are willing to be preparing our lives, we don't see what we're lacking. We don't see what we're needing because we're just going on the trip without even thinking about it. And we want to help other people be prepared. Like I said, I, we, we need to be proclaiming Jesus to people. But what are we doing to help prepare them? Preparation is so important. Preparation in, entails us removing obstacles in our hearts and our lives. Because sometimes we start drifting away from Jesus, okay? It's not because we're necessarily perpetrating evil, but we get our lives so jam-packed with stuff that Jesus just gets pushed aside. What should be the most important part of our lives, and particularly, well, for all of us, but in those of us who have our kids, I don't anymore, but have kids at home, it's important that their kids see Jesus as a priority in your life. Your job shouldn't be your priority. Your hobby shouldn't be your priority. Jesus has to be your priority because you know if he's not, it's not going to be for them either. And if it's not for you, it won't be for them. Many parents, I don't know what happened to my kid. They never come to church. They never, you know, they're out doing all this. Well, what did they see from you? Did they see, did you help prepare the path for them to be ready to understand their need for Jesus? Repentance opens the door for God's transformative work in in our lives. It allows him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to restore us to a right relationship with him. I've seen so many Christians, particularly, I've seen so many Christian parents who have spent so little time preparing the path for their kids that it just puts their kids in ruin. And as soon as the kid gets out of the house, it's over. They never, they never darken the doorstep of a church. They never offer a prayer unless they need something. And see, as Christians, we have to be preparing that path. If my preparing the path, and let me tell you something. When, when I was raising my girls, I was working 50, 60-hour weeks. I was going to school full-time. I mean, I was busy, busy, busy. And sometimes I feel like, you know, sometimes I, as I look back, I said, man, I, I wasted some time where I should have been spending more time preparing the path for my kids for Jesus. Thankfully, they had their mother. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, you're going to miss out on life when you're not preparing the path. In this verse, in verses 3 and 4, it speaks of, Isaiah speaks of building a level road through the rift of the valley and being able to level the valley and the mountains and the hills, preparing the path. Preparation involves identifying and removing obstacles that hinder your walk with God. Just briefly, years ago, a safety director, they, I think I've used this, I've talked about this before, they bought a boat. Lake of the Ozarks is an hour away from, from where we're, and th- there's nothing wrong with having a boat, man, the Lake of the Ozarks is beautiful, but long story short, they started going, 
and they go to church on Sunday when they were at the lake, and then they decided to have church on the boat, and then they decided, well, you know what, we'll go to church next week. Gardell eventually sold his boat. He said, you know, that was an obstacle in my relationship with Jesus. And we have to always, if we're preparing, if we're making preparation, we're always doing that. It's like preparing to cook something. You have to see, do I have the ingredients? And if I'm lacking something, I need to go get it. Or if there's an obstacle, like my stove isn't working, I need to get it fixed. As we're preparing the way, we have to be willing to surrender those hindrances to him, allowing him to guide us in our lives into his will. Preparation entails making room for the Lord and his work in our life. Anyway, this requires a deliberate intention to create space. We have to do that. We have to be intentional about that. We have to create space in our hearts, our minds, and our schedules. We must prioritize in prayer, study of the word, seeking his guidance. By the way, we'll talk about this a little bit in the, in the uh, a little bit later today. Uh, Core 52 is coming, and this will be a great opportunity for you to get into the word even more than you do now. As we reflect on these truths, we have to embrace the call to be preparing for the coming of the Lord. We have to, first of all, prepare to bring him into our life. Then we have to prepare ourselves for when he comes back so that we'll be ready for him. As we do this, we'll experience a transformative power like never before. Our life should reflect the beauty of his transformation in our life. It should reflect the beauty of our repentance. It should reflect the beauty of us removing obstacles to make room for him in our life. Sometimes we think coming to church is enough or coming to church occasionally is enough. That's part, of the, that's part of it. But how much room am I leaving for Jesus in my life? That's where we have to, under, we have to look, look back at that. Our preparation will draw us closer to him and it will help us shine his light to the world around us. Let's finish up with verse five. The splendor of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see, see it at the same time for the Lord has decreed it. So we see the glory of the Lord revealed. Verse 5, in this passage, we're reminding of the, reminded of the promise of God's presence. This verse speaks of the revelation of God's glory to all of his people and its transformative effect on their lives. Isaiah is telling the people, yeah, it's going to be tough, but the Lord at some point is going to be back. God wants you to be comforted by knowing that, by knowing that God hasn't left you out of his promises, that he hasn't broken his promises, that all these wonderful things are going to come through this great nation. Isaiah's prophecies declare the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all people. It promises that God's presence and majesty will be known and experienced by every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. This revelation of his glory is not, re is not just given to a select few, but extends to all who are willing to seek him and open their hearts, no matter who they are. It's an invitation for us to encounter his magnificence, his power, and, and his glory. This revelation of God's glory, we will witness his power and majesty displayed in all splendor. His glory encompasses just everything, and we want to be a part of that. The glory of the Lord has a transformative effect, a profound transformative effect on our lives. It brings healing, it brings restoration, and it brings joy into our hearts. The presence of the Lord in our lives should change us. 
As Christians, we shouldn't be walking around like somebody shot our dog every day. We should be walking around with joy, even in the midst of difficulties that we face, knowing who we serve, knowing what's waiting for us. His glory has the power to take the pain that you're living in and to transform it and to turn the ashes of our life into something beautiful. We don't have to live in ruin and misery. The nation of Israel at this time thought we're ruined, it's miserable, it's horrible, it's never going to change, and God said that's not true. You may be thinking, my life is such a mess right now, nothing can change, but it can change. The, res the revelation of God's glory brings hope, it brings joy, it brings comfort to our weary and hurting souls. The glory of God reminds us that we're not alone in our struggles, he is with us. It's a reassurance. His transformative effect in our lives compels us to share that hope with others. You ever come across a great product? What do you typically do? You share it. Is Jesus so great of a, a part of your life that you're willing to share him? Or is he just part of your life? Is Jesus what your life is about? Is Jesus why you are where you are today and who you are? Or is he just a side piece of your life? Is he your life? Because if he is your life, you're going to want to share him. We're called to share that message and to help people come to the light of Christ. Our application this morning is very simple. We will all experience God's redemption and his joy and comfort. We can all experience it. It's all available through Christ when we give our life to him. Isaiah was comforting the people to say, it's not going to stay this way. You have hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ says your life doesn't have to stay the way it is. There is hope. True joy is found in the peace and the presence of our God through Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given is salvation through Christ. Are you ready to accept that today? Or do you want to keep living life the way you've been living it? With no hope, with no joy, and no peace. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. We've got a God in heaven who loves us, who doesn't want you to be burdened by the past, defined by the past. He wants to be with you for eternity. You know, when we do the wedding vows, we realize on this life that, I told my wife we got married, I want 80 years. I want 80 years at least. Who knows what's going to happen there? And I'm thrilled the fact that I think she still does, that I got a person who wants to be with me that long. But imagine when you get married, let's say that you're like, this is for eternity. You better really love somebody who will spend eternity with them. Well, you know what? God wants to spend eternity with you. That's how much he loves you. So if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning during the time of our invitation. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling, you need prayer, maybe you're being burdened and torn to pieces by the enemy, come forward, we'll lift you up in prayer. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision.
vida. smaller cross there's a third cross a very embellished cross there are all kinds of crosses from tiny to gigantic they're all shapes sizes appearances embellishments. Some are just plain. Some have Jesus on the cross. Some are very ornate. There are differences in the meaning of the cross. Just a decoration. Just a piece of jewelry. Some are on the top of buildings to identify that building for what it stands for. 
Many people regard the cross as a symbol of Christianity. But it was originally a pagan idol. Long before Christianity was begun, the cross had been used as a symbol for pagan religions. It started in ancient Babylon, then it spread to neighboring countries. When the Roman Empire came on the scene uh, and took over the known world, it became a form of punishment and extreme pain. Through the years, it became the cruelest form of torture and punishment ever devised by man. It was so bad that it was reserved for the worst of criminals. And a Roman citizen could not be sentenced to crucifixion no matter what he did. The cross was not a thing of beauty in any sense of the word. It spoke of pain and anguish. Even after Jesus was crucified on the cross, it was not looked upon as a good thing. It wasn't until some 300 years later that the cross was accepted for what it stands for today. A picture and a reminder of what happened on a cross on the hill of Calvary when Jesus paid the price for our sins. Through the years, it has increasingly become a thing of beauty. Today, we look at the cross and we think of our Savior. We think of the sacrifice that he made for us. We think of the love that was expressed on that cross. We think of the love of God for his creation and the love of a Savior who endured the pain, and the agony, and the humiliation of an instrument of death. His body broken. His blood shed for each and every one who will accept it. Truly, the cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And its grace so free is sufficient for me. And deep is its fountain, as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you and you and you. Thank him for it as you thus partake of the emblem this morning. Lord God, we thank you for what the cross stands for today. And we look back and we remember, as we have read, of the terrible, terrible pain and agony and humiliation that our Savior went through to show his love for us. Help us to be reminded of that 
every time we look at a cross of any kind. In Jesus' name. On the inside of your bulletin, we have many announcements to make today. Um, we have our annual business meeting at 4 o'clock today. We'll be uh, voting for those who are up for elder and deacon and trustee. And remember on that, you can vote for more than one. Also, um, if you would like to, if you want to bring some finger foods, because whenever we gather, it's always good to have food. So uh, we're... Oh, yeah. And by the way, if you want a bribe for a candidate, if you bring cookies in... I'm just <laughs> Out in the world, it's money. In the church, it's food, you know. So anyway, um, you can see that. So all of our members of First Christian, we expect you there at 4 o'clock today. If you attend, you're welcome to come. If you cannot be there, we have absentee ballots. Please follow the directions explicitly or your ballot will not count. So we have directions there. Please follow them. Also, uh, the Operation Christmas Shoebox Report. First Christian provided 1,099 by Oh, we were one short of 1,100. But... <clears throat> South, all of Southeast Arizona was 13,845. So this church did a wonderful, wonderful work. Stephen Sandy and that group did a great job, as always, with that. We have, uh, Jerry will have all of his groups this evening. And uh, we have uh, LOL, Jules will take care of Tuesday. There's no Bible studies during the month of December. The Sunshine Ladies are going to meet at Culver's. And I got a note here about some wedding. Who is this? Bill and Kelly. Uh, December 16th at 2 p.m. You're all invited. So, yeah. so they're going to be cake, right? Is it going to be cake? Okay. All right. I'll be, I'm coming then. I'll, I'll come for cake or cookies or anything. But anyway, um, so please put that on your calendar, December 16th, 2 p.m. And that'll be a joyous occasion. Also... I, want, I have a, 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 a PC video 
I'm going to make sure we got the PC turned up, and um, at this time, go ahead and flip the. Oh, can we go back a slide. I made a mistake. Yeah, it seems like there are plenty of them today. This is nobody's fault but mine. I had to listen to something on the computer the other day, so I unplugged it from the sound system and forgot to plug it back in. All right, let's try that again. Whoops, go back. Oh, okay, I'll fix it. What if you had a way to spend only 15 minutes a day to develop a closer relationship with God and a greater understanding of the Bible? Core 52 provides you with the tools to do this. Think of Core 52 as your fast pass for knowing God's Word. If you can carve out 15 minutes a day, five days a week, for one year, you will know 90% of what every preacher preaches. Core 52 bridges the gap between people's interest in the Bible and their engagement with the Bible. It is the quickest route to move you from curiosity to confidence in mastering the core message of Scripture and shaping a Christian worldview. But anyway, uh, we'll start handing out books next week. Um, we have enough for each adult in the church, and then hopefully... Um, the way it's designed is you, it's not, don't take it next week and read through it, through the whole book. What'll happen is the first Sunday in January, we're going to go through it sequentially. I'll preach the first message, and then that Monday you'll start doing your work. And then I know Dale's working on some life groups that'll go along with that, and I'm really excited. Uh, we will step out of it next December because of Christmas, so we'll actually technically finish it in, this, in January of 25. But um, if you have, uh, and by the way, on the books, no, you can't get one for your mother's uncle's dog. Um, you can order those off Amazon, but we got we, the church purchased enough for the adults in the church, so uh, make sure you, we'll make sure we, still trying to figure out whether just to put them out and just trust everybody will take what they're supposed to or just physically hand them out, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll work that out next week. But those will be given out through the month of December, and um, we hope that people that watch us online that maybe don't normally come to church, that they'll get the book and follow along with us because it's a great opportunity. It's 15 minutes a day for five days a week. If you don't have 15 minutes a day for your faith, you're doing too much. 15 minutes. And the first day, it's like reading the, the chapter. Then the next day, it's working on memory verse, which the memory verses are really short. We'll have a memory verse video each week to kind of help you work through that. And um, I think the fifth day, it's usually something you're pondering. So it's very easy. So we, we, hope, that, uh, we hope everybody enjoys that. I believe that's all the announcements I have. So as far as prayers, uh, we have a lot of people we've been praying for. Please keep Gloria Beck in your prayers. Remember Gloria. Uh, she's basically filled with cancer right now. And um, she's not going to get treated for it. Um, so keep, you know, at this point in her life, she, I'm assuming she feels like she doesn't um, need to do that. So keep her in your prayers. Um, also, keep Tom Crosby in your prayers. He's been going through some stuff, and we want to keep him in our prayers. There's a lot of misinformation out there about what went on. So just keep our brother Tom in your prayers. He, he doesn't deserve what's been happening to him. Um, we have many other people we've been praying for as a praise, the Sitches of Love. Through their hard work and dedication, they made 4,513 items uh, that were created this year and uh, that 
a lot of those went to Cooperation Christmas Child in different places, so that, that group, their hands ought to be really sore. But anyway, they've done a lot. Uh, we have a lot of people we've been praying for. Keep Barb Neese in your prayers, too, and Donna Liam. Did I see Donna this morning? Uh, she said she was coming today. What's up with that? She's slacking. No, she took a fall the other day, and she was out yesterday, but keep Donna in your prayers. We have shut-ins we've been praying for. Keep Joe and Mac and Mary and Trudy and Vessie in your prayers. Operation Christmas Child and, and the service to schools, all the outreaches we're praying for. And we're also lifting up TCMI. In February, we'll have our Faith Promise Rally, and Adrian from Southern Mexico Mission will be here to preach, so I'm looking forward to having him. So at this time, let's stand together, and I will give you an opportunity to lift your hearts to the Lord, and I'll close this with a prayer as our praise team leads us with a song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship, and I pray, Lord, that we're preparing the way for you in our lives and helping prepare the way for you in the lives of others. Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with joy, that we release the burdens and the problems of the past, and we live the life that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.